0: Welcome to Global Chit Chat, the podcast that helps you navigate the global employee benefits landscape. My name is Sarah, and I will be your host. And in this episode, we will dive deeply into
1: captives. And I'm Francis, today's fun fact checker of the group, and together we will take you on a benefits journey. So let's get started. We are lucky to have Danny Mathieu with us today. Danny, tell us about your role and expertise. Sure. Thank you, Francis. Uh, My name is Danny Matthew, and I've been a member of
2: Aon's global benefits team for 13 years, and I've been in that space for over 25 years. So during that time, I've helped many uh, multinationals optimize the delivery of their employee benefits. And starting in 2022, I became the head of Aon's employee benefits captive for North America.
0: Thank you for being here today, Danny. And as you know, we always start our podcast with some fun facts about the topic we cover. So, Francis has been working really hard to look for fun facts related to captives. Francis, what do you have today for us?
1: I have some interesting findings to share with you. It's going to be captivating. Oh, I can hear my kids shouting, bad, bad joke. Danny will explain what captives are. But let me explain the origin of the term. The term captive was coined by the father of captive insurance. His name is Frederick Rice. He was bringing his concept into practice for his first client in Ohio in the 1950s. The Youngstown Street and Tube Company. The company had a series of mining operations and for some of them the output was put solely to the corporation's use. And the management referred to those mines as captive mines. When Rice helped the company incorporate its own insurance subsidiaries, they were called captive insurance companies because they wrote insurance exclusively for the captive mines. And Rice continued to use the term. For example, the policyholder owns the insurance company all the way around, the insurer is captive to the policyholder. So where are those captives located? So captives are licensed by many jurisdictions, and a captive's primary jurisdiction? Is known as its domicile. And yes, captive business has its own lingo, Will I'm sure Danny will use a lot. So Bermuda is the world's leading offshore captive domicile, and the Cayman Islands is the second largest licensing jurisdiction in terms of number of captives licensed. So the captive industry holds conferences where the captives are. If my work was fully focused on the captive industry, I would attend those conferences. But I think that my wife would only accept me having such a job if she can't tag along because Bermuda, Cayman Islands, Mauritius, the Bahamas, you have the idea. There are over 5000 captives. And today we talk about a special type, the employee benefits captive. I'm sure Danny will explain. And today there are about 150. But about 15 years ago there were less than 50. As I said, 150 today. And we expect that number will continue to grow exponentially, maybe 500 by 2030.
0: Thank you for these fun facts, Francis. The things you learn in this podcast, I tell you. So Danny, let's just jump right in. Some of our listeners here may not be familiar with employee benefits captives. Can you please briefly explain what a captive is?
2: Sure. Thank you, Sarah. So, A captive insurance company, or simply a captive, is a wholly owned insurance company created specifically to provide insurance to its parent company. As an insurance company, captives are subject to the regulatory requirements of the jurisdiction where they are located, and typically we call that jurisdiction the domicile of the captive. These requirements will include reporting requirements, capital requirements, and reserves obligations, among others. They're established to meet the risk management needs of the owners of the parent company. Another benefit, obviously, is that they provide significant tax advantages to the parent company.
0: Would you say that there are specific risks that captives can cover?
2: Captives can cover any of the risks that can be underwritten by a commercial insurer. They're a really common risk management tool used by the vast majority of Fortune 500 companies and they've been around for decades, uh, but they're also used by uh, smaller companies or even some nonprofit companies. They tend to be really popular in situations where commercial insurance is difficult to obtain or sometimes impossible, uh, for example, In the last couple of years, we've seen the cannabis industry uh, come together to create a captive as they could not otherwise procure property and casualty insurance in the commercial market.
0: This is some great information about property and casualty insurance, Danny. I'm sure our listeners are also wondering whether employee benefits can be reinsured to a captive, and if that's the case, which ones? And of course, should multinationals consider including
2: their U.S. benefits as well? Of course, the employee benefits can be reinsured to a captive. So historically, captives have been used to ensure property and casualty risks. Uh, Those captives are typically referred to as risk captives. However, a captive can definitely be used to ensure the full suite of employee benefits, such as life insurance, including accidental death and dismemberment, short term disability, long term disability, medical insurance, vision and dental, and workers' compensation. We refer to those captives as employee benefits or EB captives. However, the vast majority of companies use the same captive for both property and casualty risks, as well as employee benefit risks.
0: Interesting. Do your clients consider ensuring their non-US employee benefits to a captive as well?
2: Yes. My captive clients are multinationals. And because of the US regulatory environment, they typically look at their non-US employee benefits first. It's a lot easier. For non-US benefits, The captive will find one or more fronting partners to administer the benefits. There are five major fronting partners Allianz, IGP, Generali, Maxis, and Zurich, and they have a network of subsidiaries and affiliates who can administer the policies locally, i.e., they're fronting the policies. And so that ensures that the policies comply with local regulations, and also it takes care of all of the administrative burden of issuing the policy, collecting premiums, and and doing all of the tasks necessary to operate employee benefits
1: locally.
0: So now that you talk about all of this, the question that comes to my mind is, Would you say that it is easier to reinsure non-U.S. employee benefits versus U.S. benefits to a captive?
2: Well, while there are some restrictions, most non-U.S. employee benefits can easily be reinsured to a captive. From a U.S. perspective, it's a very different story. (laughs) (laughs) So, for benefits subject to ERISA, and ERISA is the federal legislation covering employer-provided benefits, Ensuring employee benefits through a captive is considered a prohibited transaction. The U.S. Department of Labor approval is required for a captive participation in such a program. Because of that requirement, to date, a limited number of companies have insured ARISA-governed employee benefits in their captives. However, benefits not covered by ARISA, such as medical stop loss or voluntary benefits, are often reinsured to a captive.
0: The complexity you have just described, Danny, leads to my next question. Historically, employee benefit captives have been used by very large multinationals. Would you say that the
2: landscape is changing? Yes. Until a few years ago, operating an employee benefit captive required a few house specialists, finding individuals with the knowledge to review claims, set premiums, Manage the captive, cash flows, and operate a captive in general was difficult and expensive. So a captive only made sense if significant savings were achieved. As a result, only a few large multinationals had an EB captive. Also, focusing on U.S. multinationals, we find that the head of benefits and the risk managers often operate in silos. They do not often have the opportunity to work together and exchange ideas. This was also a barrier in looking at improving overall risk management by including employee benefits in an existing captive. However, the market is definitely changing.
0: And what would you say are the main drivers of the change in the market?
2: There are four main reasons. EB captive services are less bespoke and becoming more of a commodity. The cost of operating a captive is becoming less and less. There's also a hardening of the property and casualty market, and there's a need to deliver diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those four factors are topics that I discuss with my clients almost daily, and we just conducted a survey by Aon and confirmed that the anecdotal evidence that I have is confirmed through a survey. So maybe we can look at the four factors and talk about them a little bit more. First, the offering from the fronting partners has improved. And as I mentioned, it's more of a commodity today than it was a few years ago, which makes the formation and the operation of the captive easier. Also, consulting firms such as Aon has introduced a suite of services to support EB captives. As a result, uh, you don't need the in-house specialist to operate a captive and as a consequence, it is reducing the cost of operation, and so that makes a fairly significant difference. As I mentioned, the premium rates for private casualty is increasing, which means that captive managers are interested in adding other lines of risk to diversify uh, the risk in the captive, and this has many advantages.
0: Would you agree, Danny, that the differing frequency and even amount of losses between property and casualty and employee benefits are actually favorable for a captive?
2: Yes, I would. Property and casualty losses are not frequent, but the amount of the loss, the severity, is high. Comparatively speaking, employee benefits have a higher volume of losses, but those losses are lower and more predictable. In most captive jurisdictions, this diversity of risk will help reduce the overall capital requirement for the captive. And since property and casualty risks are not correlated to employee benefit risks, the overall financial performance of the captive will be improved. Over time, good performance in one area will be offset by poor performance in another area. And finally, by adding additional premiums to the captive, the overall cost of operating the captive as a percentage of premium will be lower. And one final point I would like to make is that COVID has caused benefit leaders and risk managers to start conversations. Today. Benefit leaders are looking for solutions to deliver more flexible benefits and having active discussions with risk managers about diversity, equity, and inclusion and other risks not available in many fully insured commercial insurance markets around the world.
0: This is interesting information. Is this trend by benefit leaders to look at employee benefits captives as a potential solution influenced by the growth of environmental, social and governance impact?
2: Absolutely. During COVID, employers became acutely aware of the disparity in benefits coverage their employees received around the world. This only highlighted the need to look at diversity, equity and inclusion, or DENI. DE&I is not new, but external pressures from governments, prospective and current employees, and investors have reinforced the need for organizations to disclose and show progress toward their goals. From a benefits perspective, this is very tricky. Let's use mental well being and fertility treatment as examples of DEI benefits. COVID heightened the awareness of mental well-being and, to a significant extent, reduced the stigma of seeking professional help. Multinational companies wishing to provide equal access to therapy for all employees around the world found that in many jurisdictions, fully insured services were not available. The use of an E B captive was a really good solution. Fertility treatment is another common example. While they are commonly provided in the US, this is not the case around the world. Using a captive, a multinational company can ensure that all employees and their spouses, partners, or significant others have access to treatments.
0: Correct. These are two very common examples. I think that another recent example that highlights the use of an employee benefits captive
2: is the war in Ukraine. Correct. Most life insurance policies have a war exclusion. Many of my captive clients have elected to waive the Passive War Clause for Ukrainian policies. So this is something that they can do through a captive that could be very difficult to do if you have a fully insured solution. So the flexibility in designing benefits within a captive to align a company's DNI objectives then become part of their environmental, social, and governance or. ESG objectives because D and I really support the social aspect or the S of ESG. And Aeon helps many companies using their captive to support their ESG effort. While a risk captive can support environmental and governance objectives, it doesn't have much application with the social objectives. However, the E&I benefits delivered through a captive are perfectly aligned with many of my clients' social objectives.
0: All this is truly fascinating, Danny. I'm sure that our listeners, just like myself, have learned a lot from this discussion. I want to thank you for being here today and for sharing your knowledge with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please leave a review and share your thoughts on what you want us to cover next. In the meantime, Don't forget to join us on our next episode of Global Chit Chat to learn more about Japan. Arigato!